come to you as the body of Christ here at Faith Christian Center. For our beloved brothers and sisters that are fighting this, but specifically this morning, we come for Pastor Ray. We thank you for the progress that he's been able to make this week. We thank you for the doctors and the medicine that's worked in his body. And we just continue to trust you for a full and complete recovery for him and for Angela. And that he will return to full health and strength soon with no repercussions and no side effects. And we thank you for that, Father, in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, we come and pray for our dear brother, Denny. Lord, a word you spoke to me this week was the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in my brother, and he will quicken his mortal body. The power of the life through the Spirit of God in him is infinitely greater than the power of any disease trying to destroy his body. And in the name of Jesus, we declare that no weapon formed against him shall prosper. Satan, your work against him shall not succeed. And in the name of Jesus, we see him sitting up in bed. We see him eating and drinking. We see him coming home. We see these things by faith and declare and decree that they are so. Now, my brother, as you hear these words, you believe and you strengthen the Spirit of God that lives in you. You know his voice. You know his voice, and he's speaking in you to encourage you and to strengthen you. Father, we thank you for the stand that Dawn and her family has taken. And we ask you to continue to strengthen her. We thank you for the prayers that go forth for her family. And we thank you for them, Father. And we ask you to continue until this is finished all the way through the finishing line. And Father, we'll look forward because we want to see you get all the praise and all the glory and the honor. In a time of such despair and such fear and such concern, we want to see your glory shown in the world as a beacon that you are real, that you love people, that you care, and you are here as a Savior and as a healer. We pray for those that are nurses and in in that field that are taking care of people with all their love and their compassion and their concern. We pray for them, Father, that they would be safe, that they would feel your safety and your protection, that you would strengthen them. We pray for their families, Lord, that are allowing their loved ones to be at risk. We pray for them, Father. We thank you for the grace and the wisdom and the wisdom of God as they take care of those that you you love so much. And we thank you that. Father, I want to pray for somebody in particular this morning. Our dear sister, Dr. Nicole, who is doing such an amazing job in the position in which you took, put her. I can't imagine the stresses, the spiritual stresses and the other stresses that come against her. And Father, we just pray that you would continue to strengthen her and give her wisdom for all the areas she has to oversee, but especially in this fight. We pray for you to strengthen her, not just as a woman of God, but as a mother and as a wife, for she has those responsibilities also. And we just ask you to continue to give her peace and wisdom and strength. And Father, we pray all these things with great hope and expectation. And now I want to pray for those, Father, that have struggled with this disease, with this virus, and are in the process of recovering and overcoming it. We thank you for bringing them through this. We thank you and pray that you will continue to finish this recovery process until it is done and the nail is banged over and completely eradicated. 
And we just agree that there are no side effects, there's no adverse effects on their body in any way. And for these things we thank you in advance, in Jesus' name. And everyone that said, believe that said, amen. amen and amen. Now I need to ask you for prayer. I, on Tuesday, I have to go in and I am having day surgery. They found uh, something on the top of my ear and they're going to have to take a little piece of my ear off. Some of them trying to get my ear for a long time, <laughs> my wife especially, uh, but they're going to take a little piece. It's a day surgery, uh, but I would, appreciate, I would appreciate your prayers for that. Praise the Lord. Um, let's see, I'm getting instructions from somebody. Oh yeah, Chris, okay, thank you. Praise God. I think that's it. Right now we're going to release D2L to go to your classes. My God, you're good and wonderful guys. We're just so glad to see you. Uh, we're excited for what God's going to do in your life. And I'm excited for what God's going to do here. Praise the Lord. Okay. I'm... Used to be you came up with a list of things. Now I can get instructions from people by text while I'm up here. So <laughs> please don't text me. <laughs> That's just things I need to know. All right, let's get into God's Word. Father, we thank you this morning. You're in control. You may not be causing all these things, and you're not, but you're not taken by surprise by anything. And in the midst of all this, you have a plan and you have a purpose for our lives for being here. For you have put us, you have chosen us to be here in this world, in this church, for such a time as this. And help us as we face our own personal challenges. Help us as we face and look at the challenges that are going on in our community, in our nation, and even around the world. Help us to keep our eyes on why you have us here. Satan works so hard to distract us, but your spirit in us and your word will keep us focused. And so, Lord, we're here to do what Jesus told us to do, which is to, to, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow him. So today, help us in that process as we continue to learn how to walk by faith and not by sight. Father, I ask you to take the word that you put in my heart and may it come forth only with your heart and with your words, with your wisdom. And may we all have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what the Spirit is saying to us here today at Faith Christian Center. And everybody agreed with that said? That was pretty weak. I hope more of you agree with that. Everybody that agree with that said? Yeah. Let's get one more time. Said? Yeah. Greg, welcome those of you that are watching online. We're so glad you're with us this morning. And as of all, we say, please do not be a spectator. But God wants to speak to you also. Open your Bibles to... Um, it should be 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. I put in my notes 1 Corinthians but 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. We talked about this at the end of the week. Yeah, see, that was the wrong verse. That's my fault, guys. 2 Corinthians, I can tell you what it says. It's real simple. It says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And that's the title of this series. We've, the first Sunday of this year, we talked about, about the uncertainty. Just take it down because it's the wrong verse. Uh, we talked about the fact that we are coming into a year that has one main promise to us in itself, and that's a year of uncertainty. That we went into last year about the same time with all kinds of plans and purposes, and it, they got all turned upside down somewhere around March. 
And we discovered that last year when we went into it was much more uncertain than we realized when we were in January. But the reality is it's always been that way. We don't know what's going to come next. So we've often built our lives around what we thought were certainties when in reality they're not. So this year, we ought to not come into this year with any illusions. This year is a year of uncertainties. We don't know what's going to happen. But we ended that message by saying, but there are some things that are certain. And there are ways, because as Christians, we're not living at the whim of the uncertainties. We're not just blowing in the wind with whatever may happen, and we just have to learn how to suck it up and hope, and we're going to hope for the best. The Bible does not say that. The Bible does not teach us that as Christians, our goal is to just survive. Jesus does not tell us that there are rewards for survival. He said there are rewards to those who overcome. Overcoming is more than survival. Overcoming is finish your race. Finishing what God put you here, regardless of the uncertainties and the obstacles that come against us. And that includes COVID-19. That includes unrest, whatever the unrest is in the world or even in our lives. Whatever Satan can throw at us, God has given us the ability and expects us to overcome come. Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Not equal to it, not close, but greater, infinitely greater is he who lives in you than he who lives in the world. We quoted it in this prayer. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. So why should we be afraid Why should we be overcome? Why should we be shaken? And why should we not finish what God has put us here to do? Well, the reason we get shaky, the reason we get overcome, the reason we become afraid is because we look at almost everything in this world through our five natural senses. And Paul has just come through a series of verses here talking about how, regardless of what came against him, he said, at one point I was knocked down, but I wasn't destroyed. I was perplexed. I didn't know what was going on. Why is this happening? But I wasn't in despair. I was persecuted, but I wasn't forsaken. So Paul, I was pressured on all sides, but it didn't crush me. And it's not written in there so we can look at Paul and say, whoa, what a great apostle he was. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that these th- 1 Corinthians chapter 10, these are there for our example so that we can know. And then the secret he gives us is in chapter 5 verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to learn this year how to walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, You have to learn this year how to walk by faith and not by sight. I don't know what's going to happen to you. I'm not trying to scare you, but it's very clear that our world systems, the things we've trusted in, are not able to happen, handle what's going on in this world. And there's a reason for it, and we'll see that in just a couple of minutes, if I get out of the introduction, which I will. So, the question is, what is, if we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight, what is this thing called faith? I spent some time, I do a monthly 
phone visit with one of my dear friends, Neil Gass, whose brother used to come here regularly, Bob Gass. He's one of the greatest preachers I ever heard. And he and his brother were from Belfast, Ireland, came over here when they were about 17, 18 years old. And one of the biggest revivals that happened in the 70s in New England came out of a church they had in Bangor, Maine. So this is a, boy, this is a, young, a man that was raised in, in old line Pentecost. And we were talking on Friday about this, and he was saying, because I was sharing with him what I'm talking about, and he said, I was raised in Pentecost, and we were taught faith, 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 but nobody ever taught us what it was. We were just told, have faith. Have faith in God. Exercise your faith. Trust God. But nobody ever broke it down and told us what it was and how to exercise it and how to grow in it. And as he was sharing these things, I said, yeah, that's right. I said... I went to a Bible school, and so did Pastor Ray in Monica Liberty and here did. I went to a Bible school that was founded by Brother Kenneth Hagin. And God mandated him to teach my people faith. And he's the one that began to teach the church what faith is, how to grow in it, and then how to exercise it in a way that we could take it home and choose to apply it in our life. So it's important when we hear walk by faith that we have an understanding of what it is. Now the primary gift that God has given me as a pastor is to be a teacher. And I'm not a traditional teacher. I don't just go and go line, line, line like this. God just gives me ways of understanding things and then allows me to be able to break it down for you. Some of it may seem tedious to you, but that's why I take scriptures and I just break it down for you so that you can understand it and take that understanding home and apply it in your life. And that's what counts and that's what changes our life. It's one, we need preachers, we need people to inspire us, but once you get worked up and walk out that door, you've got to know how to apply what you learned. So this is why we're going to break this down. For some of what we're going to cover this morning, you, you, you've heard this before, I've taught this many times before, but we leak <laughs> we forget. We need to be reminded of certain things. So we're going to lay a foundation today of what, it, what faith is. And then next time we'll begin to talk about how do you grow it. We're going to talk next time about what faith isn't. Because a lot of people think they're in faith and they're in something else besides faith because they don't understand what faith really is. Now to do this, we've got to really step back all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, when Moses writes, in the beginning. So we're going to look back and look at what's going on. The Bible tells us that in the beginning that God's referring to in Genesis chapter 1 was the, ever ask yourself, the beginning of what? The beginning of the Bible? No, that's not what he's talking about. In the beginning of this entire realm of existence, and I've got to take a moment to explain that. Again, I've done this before, but we've got people here that may not have heard it before, maybe people watching online, or maybe you just need to be reminded of it. I need to be reminded of it. So just listen in if you understand this so thoroughly. Everything you see right now, everything your five senses can detect, what you can see, what you can touch, what you can hear, and what you can taste, what's the fifth one? Smell, thank you. What you can smell, those things were created, that realm that they exist in, were created in Genesis chapter 1. 
And God created them with words. But that's not when all of existence created, because God was there before the creation. We learned last, uh, last Christmas time in Advent that, that what, who, the man we call Jesus was the Word of God, and He was with God before all of this creation. So there's an existence. There's a realm of existence that existed before all of this universe from the great expanse of the farthest stars and galaxies and novas and whatever else is out there all the way down to the tiniest little proton or whatever makes up the basic elements of an atom. All of those things came into existence out of another realm. The Bible tells that in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, I think it's verse 3, three because, because by faith we understand, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen, which your five senses detect, were not made out of things that were visible. In other words, when God decided to create this world, he didn't go to Home Depot and Lowe's, place an order for the materials he was going to need and have them delivered and the angels got together and they built this universe. No, it came out of the spirit realm that God spoke it into existence. And everything else that comes into existence comes out of that realm first. So it's important to understand that there is a realm of existence out there called the spirit realm which is more real than this realm. But because we're so used to living our life and controlled by and operating by our five senses, the only realm we have any real time spent giving attention to is this physical, material, or natural realm. But it's not the realm that's controlling things. The the things that are going on in the world right now from the major international things to things even in your life, are ultimately influenced by spirit beings that you can't see. And because most of the time we live ignorant of those things, they're affecting our lives and we don't understand what's affecting them. We talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night. Ephesians chapter chapter 6 Verse, uh, verse uh, 12 says, For we wrestle not against our wives. I mean, it's flesh and blood. Excuse me. <laughs> we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That boss of yours, who says the nastiest thing you've ever, ever run into is constantly annoying you, or maybe it's your neighbor who sends his dog on your yard to do his business, or maybe it's some, some person that just gets under your skin It's not them. They're spirit beings that are using them to try to get at you. And Paul writes that because there was a spiritual challenge going on in that church and he wanted them to understand, although there were people coming into that church doing things, that's not where the battle was. So, so much of the time, we talked about this on Wednesday night, so much of this time we try to fight the battle in the wrong realm and go back and look at Wednesday night's message because that's what it was all about because prayer is in that realm. So there are two realms of existence. Let's go go now to Hebrews chapter 11. And basically you can tell the difference because if you can detect it with any one of your five senses, it's in this natural material realm. So the chair you're sitting in is in which realm? 
It's the natural realm. The clothes you're wearing are from this realm because you can see it, feel it, and touch it. The body that you're living in is of this natural material realm. In fact, the Bible tells us God made our bodies out of the dust of the earth. Well, He made man's body out of the dust of the earth and He made the woman's out of the man's body which was made out of the dust of the earth. And that's why when you're finished with this body, it returns to the natural to the, to the dust of this earth. And that's why Paul says, you can't take this body into heaven because it's not of that realm. You need a body in heaven that's out of that realm. And so, I know, as much as we love this body, don't get too comfortable in it because you're leaving it at some point. The only way you get into heaven is to leave this thing here. And so we've got to learn to think in different terms. Renewing our mind, the Bible talks about it. And so, so we live in this realm, but, we, we, but the things that God's called us to do, like prayer, worship. John chapter 4, 24, Jesus says, For those that worship God, true worshipers, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Because God's a spirit. So you can only commune with Him spirit to spirit. But most of us are totally unaware of the spirit on the inside of us because we're so dominated by our five senses. And your body's talking to you all the time. And we're so, no, we just don't even notice it as we're so used to it talking to us. Until you tell it to not eat. Tell your body you're going to fast tomorrow. You will hear your body talk to you. Or deny it some other way. All right, we've got to move along. So, Hebrews 11 verse 1. We're just going to break this down nice and slowly. This is the classic definition of faith. But in order to understand this definition, you have to have that background I've just given to you. Now, a little bit of other things. You're made, you exist, you're the only being God created that exists in both realms. Your body is of this natural, material realm. But the real you on the inside of you is a spirit being. And that spirit being will live forever somewhere. Before you came to Christ, that spirit being on the inside of you was dead to God. It had no communication with God because it was born in rebellion out of Adam's fall. When you came to Christ, Jesus said you were born again. The again means a second time. It also means, in the Greek word, from above. Because remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, how can a man be born again? How can I get back in my mother's womb? I mean, I'm 70 years old. And Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not talking about your body. I'm talking about the you on the inside of you. So when you came to Christ, the change took place in who you were on the inside. That real person on the inside. But most Christians have never developed that spirit man. They've never developed an awareness of him. But the Bible says not only did God change your inner nature, but God took his own spirit and now put him in you so that God could communicate with you his spirit to your spirit who are fused together. But wait a minute, Pastor. If you've just told me, well, I guess I didn't tell you, but I'll tell you now. Now, 
the spirit realm cannot have physical contact with this natural realm unless something supernatural happens. So this room is full of angels right now, but you can't see them unless God decides to show them to you. In fact, I may well have put my hand through my angel, but I couldn't tell that because my hand is not designed to detect his, him. That doesn't mean he's not real. But it works the other way. Unless he does something supernatural, I can't feel him here either. I can't see him. So how, if, I'm, if, I, if part of me is of this natural realm, and it can't detect the spirit realm, and then part of me is of the spirit realm, and it can't detect the natural realm, there's a gap here. So how does God fill the gap? He gave you a third part, your soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that's the part that bridges the gap between your natural physical body and the spirit being that's on the inside of you, which is God's, why God says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The word transform literally means to take who you are in the inside and bring it so it shows up on the outside. I have a course I've done on renewing the mind, which I may do again this year. That's all I can spend the time on this right now. So, with that by background, here's the problem. We're operating in physical bodies with forces and beings and, and issues that are not of this realm. How do we relate to them? How do we know they're even there? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Let's break that down. Let's talk about the word substance there. What is a substance? What do substances do? When something has substance, it, it implies to us that it, it's solid, and we know that it's really there. So you, you placed your weight, the entire trust of your body, on that chair you're sitting in, because you were confident that it had enough substance to hold you up. So you exercised faith in that chair. Now it's easy to do because you've been sitting in that same chair for years. <laughs> but more than that, you can see it. And before you sat in it, you may have just kind of tested it out. So you know it's really there and it has enough substance to hold you because your physical senses confirm to you that it's really there. So when it comes to things of this physical realm, we need that same confidence. We need confidence to know it's there, or we and used the example last week of walking by faith, and I used the example of walking. What walking is, is you put one foot in front of another. But I said, if you're not sure that that step is certain and it's of substance, you won't go out and step on it. You've got to know that it's really there and it will hold you or else you will not put your whole weight on it. You need confidence, you need assurance before you will step out onto something and put your trust and your weight and your life in its hands. So how do we deal with that when we're dealing with things that by definition you can't see? And the biggest one is God Himself. How can I know there's a God 
when I can't see them because the only way I know things are real is if I can see them, I can feel them, I can touch them, I can taste them or hear them. And I can't do any of that with God. So how do I know that He's real? This says that faith provides the assurance of things you can't see that substance does for things you can see. So whereas you can see that chair and trust to put your weight in it, you can't see God, but faith allows you to have the same confidence that God is there and you can put your life in His hands even though your five senses can't see Him because by faith you know He's there. So faith provides an assurance to us that comes when we know something has substance. Now, the word substance there is a Greek word, hypostasis. And the only reason I'm going to go through this is because it, it excites me. <laughs> I can feel this word. The word hypostasis, if you break it down, means to literally to stand underneath something and support it and hold it up like a foundation. It's interesting that the word has its roots in, in, a, in a medical term used by Hi- Hippocrates that talks about the sediment that settles out of fluid. And actually, I don't want to gross you out, but he's talking about urine. That if they set it there, eventually out of time, there's particles, sediment, that was already mixed in that fluid you couldn't see, but in time, the weight of that settles to the bottom and separates from the fluid that's lighter. And those of you that are medical people will know many more examples of that. But here's the truth. That sediment was already in the fluid. You just couldn't see it until it got separated out. And faith allows you to see with an inner eye the reality of things that your five senses can't see you. I can see with the eyes of my faith on the inside, Denny Sullivan sitting up in his bed. I can't see with these eyes. I can't even see him. But I can see it. And you, see, God wants you to see things in here. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word hope there doesn't mean, I hope it gets better. No, the word hope there is a positive expectation. And faith gives substance to the things that you can see by faith on the inside of you. So much substance you can start acting as if it were actually here now. But to do that, you've got to learn to not be moved by the evidence your physical senses are telling you. Because you can look at your body and say, your body says, that thing's still there. But as my faith grows in what God said about it, then I can begin to see that that thing's gone before my eyes tell me it's gone. To the point that I have such an assurance on the inside, I don't care what it looks like to my eyes, because this is more real. This is more real. I've gotten way off my notes, that's okay. Faith is so critical because our spiritual realities and beings are being affected in this natural world by spiritual things and without faith, we're blind to what's going on out there. So it'd be as if you got in your car and decided to go home with your eyes closed. That would be dangerous, wouldn't it? That would be dangerous, wouldn't it? 
That would be dangerous, wouldn't it? Okay, I just want to make sure. Okay. Don't try this at home. But when we walk through this life as Christians and we never develop faith in God's Word and a relationship with the Spirit on the inside of us, we are literally, it's more dangerous because we're driving through this life blind. And there's an enemy out there shooting at you. There's an enemy out there creating potholes and things for you, traps for you to fall in. And so many Christians fall in them and then blame something else. God, their neighbor, the church. I got to move on. Put the verse back up there. There are two parts to it. It's the, it's the subject of things hoped for. Second part, it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, my background as a lawyer gives me an understanding of evidence. The purpose of evidence in a trial is to convince the jury that something happened that the jury didn't see. If the jurors just happened to be there when the accident took place, they saw what happened. But that doesn't happen because they don't even know their jurors yet. So what evidence does is evidence is either something said or something physical that tries to tell the jury, points the jury to something you want them to believe happened. So evidence points to something it's not the evidence itself. It's telling you a truth about something that you can't see. That's why there are rules of evidence as to what can come in as evidence because evidence can be skewed to point it to something that it's not, it's not justified in pointing to. I'll give you a, a better example probably. Um, I heard Fred Price use years ago. He says, you're out in a field, an archaeological dig. And you dig and somebody says, wow, look at this. And you pull up a bone and, and, the, uh, and the, 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 the head paleontologist says, that's the bone of a, of a, a brontosaurus. Wow, that's evidence that brontosaurus has existed. But while you're looking at that and the ground begins to rumble like this and you begin to shake and you look, uh, up over the corner of the hill comes a brontosaurus. Now you don't need evidence that they existed, you got the brontosaurus that tells you that they existed. Can you see the difference? So faith provides that evidence that something is real, like God is real, His provisions are real, His protection is real. Faith provides the same evidence that you can know that what God has said is true, even though you can't see it yet, because God's Word says so, that's your evidence. So that's the essence of what faith is and also why it is so critical. And it's the substance of things hoped for. We just talked about that. It's the evidence of things that we cannot detect with our senses. That we cannot detect with our senses. So we often think, well, if I could just see it, then I'd believe it. But let me tell you this much. Have you ever seen something, you've had an experience with God or you've seen something and then the next day it kind of fades. It just kind of, well that was nice, it's a nice memory of it, but it's not as real to me as it was yesterday. Why? Because it came at you through your senses. See our senses have bad memory. But when you see something on the inside of you, when you see it by faith, that doesn't fade unless you stop looking at it. 
It's, it's a far stronger way to see something on the inside of you than it is to see it with your five natural senses or detect it with your five natural senses. Okay, we've got to move on. So how does this apply to our walk through uncertainties? Well, God's made promises to us to protect us, to heal us, to provide for us, and to give us assurance of what ha- where we go when we die. But we can't see, touch, or hear God with our senses. So how do we know He's really there? And how do we know we can really trust that the things He said to us really are so, or I will receive them in my life? We can't see the protection. We can't see the healing. We can't see the provision that God's promises. We can't see into heaven and see the future of where we're going. Yet to receive them, we have to act as if they were true. This is all in my notes you can download. Faith, now listen carefully, faith is what gives us the same certainty that those promises are real as if we could see them with our physical eyes. In fact, actually it's a greater certainty because our memory fades from the outside. But the eye we see with on the inside is the eye of our spirit. Hebrews 11.6 let's, let's let this sink in. Without faith, without faith, without faith, without faith, it's hard to do things for God. That's not what it says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Back when we first got saved, there was a big faith movement, word of faith movement. It's not the only time it's ever happened. And then people started after a while poo-pooing it. I talked to you last week about, I don't want to change the name of this church because it's Faith Christian Center. And I want to emphasize that we are people of faith. God says, without faith, it's impossible to please me. Why? He goes on to explain it. For he who comes to God must believe that he really is there. We just went over that. You can't know he's there because you see him. You can't know he's there because you hear an audible voice. You can't know He's there because you can reach out and touch Him. So how do we really know God is there? See, we get people in the world trying to say, well, I don't, I, there's no God because I can't see Him. I can't touch Him. I can't understand Him. That's why He says, by faith, you have to understand these things. It's impossible to please Him. Why? For he who comes to God must believe that He is, that He's there, because you won't come to Him if you don't believe He's really there. And secondly, that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, that He will answer you. So it's not faith itself that pleases God. Faith is what allows you to do the things that please God. And that's to come to Him and expect Him to answer you and to reward what you've come to Him with. So I want to look at a couple of examples here as as time allows us. Because Hebrews 11 goes on to explain some of these examples. So let's go to verse 7. First one we're going to talk about. Noah. We're going to break this down. Being divinely, remember Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet what? Not yet what? So he was warned by God of things that he could not see. God told him something was going to happen. There was going to be a great flood And God's telling him, first of all, that this is going to happen, and then He's going to tell him something to do with that. 
But he couldn't see it. In fact, it's even harder because there is some evidence in the Bible that it had never rained before, that there was a mist that grew up. But even if it rained before, there was no way to imagine a flood for 40 days that was going to wipe out the world. So he had no physical evidence to give him to believe that that was going to happen and his mind wasn't capable of grasping that. So God has said something to him and now he has a choice. Being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he was moved by godly fear. He respected who this God was that had spoken to him. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household. So what God told him to do, you, I assume you know the story, God told him to build an ark. That's a big boat. An ark holds something. Because God said, I'm going to bring rain to the earth for 40 days and 40 nights and I'm going to flood this earth and destroy everything that's evil. Now Noah has a choice to make. Because if what he does what God says and acts on that, he's going to look like a fool. And some of you have seen movies where they kind of make fun of him. Because now he's got to build on dry land a boat. And I'm sure his neighbors came around and said, What are you doing? I'm building an ark. Oh, really? Why? Because it's going to rain. <laughs> really? Why do you need a boat this big? It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. It's going to flood the earth. Really? It's never done that before. But Noah has, against all reason, against all his, against whatever persecution he went through, he's got to choose to obey God. See, faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. You can't have faith and not obey. And you can't obey if you don't believe. It takes both of them. And so he did that. But notice by doing so, he saved his household. And this is a type of Christ. By faith in the work that Christ did for you on Calvary, you save yourself. And you can bring your household with you. When it makes no sense that by opening my heart to receive Christ and by confessing Him with my mouth, that's going to save me. I thought it was how hard I worked for God. I thought it was all my good works, that I never said wrong things and I always did good things and I was always nice to my neighbor. Those are wonderful to do, but they won't save you. Because you can't do enough. You can't be good enough. You've got to do it God's way. It's by faith in Jesus Christ and what He did for you on Calvary. Let's look at another example. Let's go to... Um, to Abraham. Verse 8. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now some of you don't know where you're going but this is a different thing. Abraham was a pagan. He grew up in a place called Ur in Chaldea. They were moon worshippers. And God, the living God, spoke to him one day and told him, get up from where you are and leave your family and your home and I'm selling you to go somewhere and I'll tell you when you get there that you're where you are, where, where to go. I'm not going to tell you where to, where to go ahead of time. I'm not going to get... You just have to do what I say first and I'll tell you when you get there. 
And notice, because he did, he received the inheritance. Now, I can't imagine what he went through. Imagine going home to your wife and said, Well, dear, we're moving. Oh, yeah, where? We're going to go? I don't know. We're just moving. Why are we doing that? God told me. And she looks up at the moon. You mean the moon spoke to you? Where have you been drinking? See, these things, they're opposition that comes against us when we walk by faith. First of all, from our mind and our senses, and then it can be people around you that think you're nuts, you're crazy. And most of those are Christians. Because you're convicting them because they're not walking by faith. And he went out not knowing, he went out not knowing where he was going. And as a result, God blessed him. But not only him, we are heirs of that inheritance. So his obedience affected us. I'm going to go one better. Let's go to chapter, verse 17. This is now years later. And now God had spoken to him once he got there and said, I want you, I'm going to give you a son. And through that son, through that son, he will be the, you will be the father of many nations. The problem is when God told him that, Abraham was... 75 years old. He was all dried up physically and his wife was 65 and she was barren. She'd never been able to have a child. And God says to him, through your wife, I'm going to give you a son and you will be the father of many nations through him. Now, he probably was excited at first until he went to bed that night and looked at his wife and looked at himself and says, no way that's happening. In fact, we know that at first he really had trouble with it because when nothing changed, his wife gave him her servant and he went into her and they produced a child, Ishmael, and then they presented the child to God and says, here, see, here's your son. He said, no, God said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to get your help in this. The only way this is going to happen is you have to believe the promise I made you when it is absolutely impossible. In fact, Romans 4 says, in hope, against all hope, he believes. So whatever you're facing that looks hopeless, that's when God shines. In hope, against all natural hope, he believed the promise God made to him. And then Isaac's born. What a celebration. And Isaac is probably a young man now. And now God speaks to him and says, when, by faith, when Abraham was tested, God spoke to him, Genesis 22, and says, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love. Yes! And anoint him. No, I want you to take him to a place, I'll tell you, and I want you to make a sacrifice of him. I want you to offer his body on an altar of sacrifice. Now listen to this. God has already told him and made it so clear to him, it's through this son I gave you. I made you believe me for him that the promise I have for you is going to come through this son. This same God now tells him to kill that son. Do you see a little inconsistency there? Most of us would have taken that last voice and rebuked it. Well, that's the devil. Get behind me. Because it doesn't line up with the first promise. But Abraham trusted God so much. Let's see what it says. Put it back up there. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he received him, and he, he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. Sound familiar? Verse 18. In whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Is there another verse? Yeah. Concluding. Listen to this. This is why he did this. 
He had a promise from God that says, through this boy, you will be the father of many nations. And now God says to him, I want you to take that boy and I want you to kill him. And Abraham, he didn't even, he didn't even delay. He went out to do it. In fact, his hand was literally ready to come down. Why? Because he was so certain of this first promise that even when God himself told him to sacrifice that boy. Abraham knew, look, he said, concluding that God was able to raise him up from the dead because that promise God made to him was going to come about. Even if God had to raise the boy from the dead, it was still going to come about. That's why Abraham is called the father of our faith. Oh, by the way, that had an effect on us. He received him in a figurative sense. I don't have time to go through the blood covenant, but by doing this, Abraham honored a blood covenant God had entered into him. And under the terms of that covenant, that whatever Abraham did for God, God was obligated to do back for him. Now, here's a little background you may not know. The hill on which Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son by the way, the angel, if you don't know the story, the angel stopped him and said, now I know that you truly reverence me. And he already had a goat on the way up the hill to take the place. The same place where Abraham was willing to offer up his son and by being willing to do that, he was, stand, he was fulfilling his covenant promise to do whatever God said. He now obligated God to do the same thing for him if he needed it. He obligated God to offer up his only begotten son to redeem Abraham and all of the seed through Abraham, which is you and me. And the same place where Abraham offered up his son Isaac is the same hill where God offered up his son on Golgotha. The faith faith of Abraham is the means by which God was able to save you and save me. Was his faith important? We owe everything to his faith. The last example I'm going to use, we're not going to to, have time to turn to it, is Peter. It's in Matthew 14. Matthew 14 starts in verse 22. It's a story of uh, the disciples. I've used this many times. It's an amazing story of faith. Jesus has finished ministering, tells his disciples to get in the boat. He tells his disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. He gives them a word. But he stays behind and goes up on the mountain to pray. And he's about the fourth watch of the night. There's a terrible storm comes against them as they're crossing the sea. And it says, Jesus came walking to them on the water. I'm going to take a series at some point and break this down because this is such an amazing lesson in this story. And they're, they're already scared because it looks like they're going to sink. And these are fishermen. This is their boat. And, and, and they look up in the dark and here's someone walking on the water. So all they can conclude in their own experiences is it's got to be a ghost because man can't walk on water. And as he gets nearer and nearer and nearer, they start really getting afraid and he speaks to them and he says... Be not afraid, it is I. Be of good courage. Actually, the words be of good courage in Greek mean be boldly courageous. So Peter speaks up and said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. This 
This is a storm. The wind's blowing. The waves are lapping on the boat. It looks like it's going to sink. And Peter says, if that's you, bid me to come to you out on the water. And Jesus says one word, come. Peter's got a choice to make because it's a lot. He's used to that boat for his safety. It's his boat, probably. The boat's in trouble. And the things we've trusted in many times have gotten in trouble, but we're so familiar with them, we cling to them. And Jesus said, come. So Peter made a decision to act on Jesus' word, and he climbed down out of the boat. And the Bible says Peter walked on the water to go to Jesus. Jesus spoke a word, and Peter stepped out of the security of his boat to act on that word. And at that moment in time, you had 11 men in the boat threatening to drown and one man out on the water with no boat in the middle of the storm. But he's out there with Jesus and on Jesus' word, he is infinitely safer out on that water with Jesus than the other 11 were staying in the safety of the boat. In each of these stories... Noah, Abraham, uh, Peter. We have others in there. There's Moses. We don't have time to go through. These were people that the physical evidence told them you're not going to make it. The physical evidence told them it can't happen. But God had said something that he was going to do and they had a choice to make. I'm either going to be influenced and governed by my five senses and believe me, they can roar at you because you're used to listening to them. Or you can choose to walk by faith and not by sight. Now don't go out in Narragansett Bay this afternoon and try this out. Because you will experience a second baptism. And I cannot guarantee that you will come up out of it. We're going to talk about developing your faith. We're going to talk about knowing... At what point can I step out of... You know, all these things we'll talk about. But the bottom line here is we must learn to walk, trust in and rely on God's Word no matter what we see, no matter what we hear, no matter what our senses and our mind tell us. So I want you to take just a second, because the time's running out, just a second to think... Think about some of the challenges that you went through last year. Maybe it was in your body. Maybe it was in your finances. Maybe it was just the threat of everything you saw in the news. What challenges did you have in 2020? And how did you respond to those? What did your senses tell you? Because they speak to you. Were they telling you you're not going to make it? Were they telling you I'm going to get COVID and I'm going to die? We're telling you that if you lost your job, you're, gonna, you're not going to make it. You're here. Or maybe it told you you are going to lose your job. Everybody's going to lose their job. I remember when it first broke, the first thoughts that had my mind, how can we have church if we can't meet? People can just drift away. I have trouble keeping them here as it is <laughs> when you can see them. How's that going to happen, God? What about the finances? Is that going to dry up? What are we going to do? And all, but I learned to look inside and say, God, you're in here. What are you saying to me? And I felt the Lord strengthen me on the inside and say to me, John, first of all, this doesn't take me by surprise. 
Secondly, you need to look at this as an opportunity for the great things that I'm going to do. And third, keep your eyes on me and not on what you see going on around you. So as we face whatever 2021 brings, there are amazing things God wants to do this year. He wants to show himself off because the world needs to see how real God is. It needs to see the compassion of God. It needs to see the power of God and it needs to see the glory of God. And that's not going to drop down out of heaven. It's got to come out of his church, his people. But he's got to get us to stand still long enough and not panic so that he can take us and lead us to where he wants to go. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. You are so patient with us. You are so long-suffering and so patient with us. We come to you, Father, today to thank you for your mercy and your grace. Your word tells us that we can come boldly with confidence to a throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need because we have a high priest, Jesus, who is touched with the feeling of our weaknesses because he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he did not sin. So he's able to come to our aid and strengthen us and comfort us. Father, I believe with all my heart you're leading us somewhere and you're leading us together. So our eyes are on you. We don't know where that is. We don't know what direction it's going to take. But our eyes are on you. So I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice today as I pray for myself. Father, would you bring back to our recollection this week as we face whatever challenges lie before us, the words that we've heard. And we ask the precious Holy Spirit who lives within us to rise up and be strong and give us wisdom and direction so that we may be able to walk through this week by faith and not by sight. And for that we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close, we always want to give an opportunity to anyone that may be watching online or even maybe you're here. Maybe you've been coming for a while or maybe you just came in this morning. And you've never...